And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Don't fight the future. Here comes Luca. Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. One of many, one of every Mavericks podcast that says, hell of a season. Hell of a season, gents. I'm Tim Cato. I write and talk about the Mavericks. We've got Austin Gurria, and we're going to talk about the season that was. It's Friday. The Mavericks season ended yesterday in Game 5 to the Golden State Warriors. And I think there's, there's only... Only positives to be taken about the season that they played, the year that they had, the past 12 months, which had some bleak and dark moments, had some change, had a lot that happened. Not all of it good, but I think you look at the sum, the whole of the past 12 months, the whole of the year that was, and you can only undeniably say that the Mavericks are on a better trajectory that things went in the right direction and are headed in the right direction in a way that we really could not say this time one year ago. Austin, as the resident fan voice of the uh, the 77 Minutes pod, just how, how, are you, how are you feeling? How are you feeling after watching Game 5, a game that, you know, we're not even really going to talk about Um not in not in any substantial way. What what is there to talk about? You know, the there's, Warriors there's, are better. Yeah, not not much to talk about. Clay good. Clay Clay is good. That was that was the one thing that they had survived all series without him. You know, going off, and then he did, and you know, the Warriors were better. But I thought that I thought that even losing in in five games, even the gentleman sweep that that series was, that the Mavericks did not embarrass themselves. That they can be at least satisfied or, um, you know, proud that they put up a fight and, and they could have put up more of one, had a few other things gone differently. Yeah. And now things are over. But it's, it's about the season that was. And that, that, was, that was an undeniably good season. I think you could boil down the season what it felt like to that last 15-0 run they had in the third quarter where – you're like, this game, they have nothing going for them. It looks like they're about to lose by 40 points and just get blown out in Golden State. And then all of a sudden, they just pulled it together. And Luka all of a sudden looked like he had a little bit of energy. And they made a run. And that was kind of how the season went. They, the season started off horribly. They they looked terrible the first 20 games of the season. And it was not a lot of fun. They were, I think I had described their wins early in the season as bad sex. That's... <laughs> <laughs> they, it, they they just no one was having a great time and then the Chris the the Christmas outbreak happened 
and things turned around. And this was ended up being one of the most enjoyable Mavs seasons I think that I've ever watched. That was truly fun. I think every I think everyone had a good time. Everyone from Cuban down to Luca down to the equipment guy down to the fan down to Scott. I think everyone had a good time, and that's honestly a very rare thing for an NBA franchise. I like the term Christmas outbreak because I'm just thinking of like viral transmission of Christmas, of <laughs> of, of holiday cheer. Everybody's just all of a sudden getting it. And, I mean, uh, Charlie and Brown spread it. Charlie Brown spread it. Absolutely, a um, an undeniable part of the season. You cannot tell the story of the season without telling the story of Charlie Brown Jr. You think he's going to get his name on the court if they, if they oh, do that absolutely. again? Absolutely. I hope they put a little Christmas tree by it. <laughs> I'll never forget the Charlie Brown Christmas cream. This was a season where Isaiah Thomas played for the Dallas Mavericks. He did. That happened. Brandon Knight played several games twice for and, the Mavericks. And was great. Yeah, he was solid. Dude, he's also such a nice dude. Um, I, I'll tell a little story. The bleakness... The darkest point of the season was the month of December, undeniably. I was on the road uh, for the trip that started on Christmas Day. And because of the outbreak that was happening around the team, they were running with a with an absolute skeleton crew. They're, you know, they limited the traveling party to as few people as possible. It ended up being that I was the only beat reporter who went on that trip. I was the only reporter for the pregame press conference of uh, the game against the Utah Jazz, it was just me, Jason Kidd, and Scott Tomlin in a room together. The visiting, you know, the the Utah Jazz beat writers had had a similar breakout and were not allowed in tier one level. So usually that would be, you know, usually that room would at least be populated by a few people who naturally covered the team. It was just me, just Scott Tomlin, the PR director, and just Jason Kidd. It was us three in, in this little side room. Um, actually, you know, if you listen to my podcast after the Utah Jazz uh, game, you know, I was talking about it like an owner's room or an owner's suite. It was that same room because they didn't need a bigger one. They didn't need some typical press conference room because um, it was tiny. And so, you know, there's questions asked over Zoom. But I remember just how unnatural it felt. And it did. It, it felt weird. It felt odd. It felt off. You know, there was a sense of like unease and dread. That was going around the team at that time. You know, people were telling me on the team any minute now we might test for COVID. Um, and that was all amplified by the way the team was playing on the court. And it wasn't fun and, and the results were not good. And nobody could see a path forward, a positive path. You know, there was an idea that the team would have some positive regression, that they would improve here and there, that we could see small signs of improvement. But with the team and, and the record they had at that point, there was a real chance that they would not be able to dig themselves out of it in a manner that would allow for a successful season, in a manner that would allow for a first-round win, which we entered the season saying was the number one goal. And now we're here. They were not, they not just won the first round. They won the second round. They went to the conference finals. They were one of the four teams remaining, left standing. That's so both impressive which we've said and will say, but it's just remarkable from where this team was, how things felt for them to now be here. Yeah, they they blew out a 64-win team in Game 7 of the playoffs on the road. That was, this was just a very, very impressive season. I, I, I honestly, this is like almost as impressive to me as the 2011 run in that, 
it takes so long. It it takes so much to really make a run like that after you start a season that far in the hole and getting everybody to rally and create a new identity. And you trade your second best player at the trade deadline. And then you still make a huge run. It's just, it's very, it's very, very impressive. I, I, I guess I had to eat a lot of crow on the Jason Kidd hire. And I think a lot of people did. And it's what he did was very, very impressive. I, it just there's not really another word for it. Yeah, let's talk about that. I, I think that I, I don't. Crow is interesting. What is it? What does it mean to eat crow? I think there were very justified criticisms of what we knew about Jason Kidd when he was hired. I also think that people forget that more criticism, at least stemming from me, was about a lack of trust at the time of the organization to make that hire. If this was an organization that, you know, in the in the even the past month um, of that hire had everything all all their uh, all their their doors latched and their you know had had all their affairs in order, I think this would have gone very differently. There could have been a lot more trust in you know the team believing that the team knew what they were doing, even given Jason Kidd's track record. Um, but quite famously, they did not. Um, so I, I do, I do think that the skepticism it was warranted. It was warranted, and and it was justified. Um, I remember trying, and, and maybe it didn't always come across from my perspective, but I remember trying to approach the Jason Kidd as a head coach with a very open mind, and I remember a lot of criticism uh, being levied at him as the season progressed. And while I would acknowledge aspects of what he was doing that I, I wasn't a fan of. I, I always thought that he was, you know, in those seasons, first two months, he wasn't the issue. No, he wasn't. He was far from the issue. And all that said, I did not expect to be lauding his coaching ability as this year went on. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to do revisionist history here where I was a person who nailed it or, or thought that this would happen. I've been just as shocked and just as surprised and and just as incorrect about the success that he would have as a head coach. But it's been very interesting just how, how different it was. Like he, he simplified things, him and his coaching staff simplified things. And they brought in a culture that clearly this team needed, you know, one, one that in many ways ended up in the same place that Rick Carlisle's did. in in the sense that this team had very defined roles, everybody knew exactly what they should and should not be doing, but they knew. They were not being told what they could not and could and could not do, which, to be fair to Rick Carlisle, he was pretty good at identifying what players should and should not be doing. But when you just, you know, it, it's, I mean, this is applicable to life. It's, it's much easier to believe, to do something because you believe in it than being told to do. It's like you tell your kid, don't eat ice cream for breakfast. Don't do it. And they're like, well, I'm not doing it, but I'm not doing it out of spite. And then you let them eat ice cream for breakfast. for Maybe let them bring the ball up. Maybe let them post up for a little bit. And then they keep doing it. And they're like, this isn't very fun. Actually, my teeth are cold. And I don't, I don't like doing this. And now, and now I'm not going to eat ice cream. For, you don't even have to tell me to not eat ice cream. I don't even want to do that anymore. I mean, this is official advice from the 77 Minutes and Podcast. Uh, you know, let your 11-year-old smoke a cigarette. Just just do it. Yeah. They'll find out. They, they don't, maybe don't like they, it. They won't ever do it again. So I, I think that... that you know, it's almost the defining like theme of the season is Jason Kidd's coaching. Just because maybe because it was 
it's been so long since there's been a different approach because Carlisle was in place for as many years as he was, that it was, it's almost like, you know, even me as a writer, even me as an analyst and, and beat writer of this team, I felt like I was flexing new muscles that I had become very conditioned to understanding Rick Carlisle's thought processes and the way that he acted and why he acted upon them, what I liked and disliked about his approach, but also understanding, okay, well, this is the approach. And the least I can do is understand it. You know, that's, that's, you know, nothing else is going to change about that. Then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, this guy's doing something different in this situation. Why is he doing that? And, And then realizing that I think so many of his decisions, even the ones that I disagree with, or, or at least, you know, in a vacuum think were not the most effective ones. I still go back to believing that they were part of the broader, um, you know, broader purpose and broader ethos of what kid was trying to dictate. And I think that's, that's been a really interesting thing to try to understand over these past months. And it's not to say that there won't be at some point something that he does that's within his coaching philosophy that objectively does not work and hurts the team. But that happens for every coach. You know, you know, we are criticizing Steve Kerr about game four, you know, sitting here in front of this same microphone, just what, two days ago, 48 hours. And so I I think, I think that's been fascinating. And and I, I think above all, like there's a confidence in him and his coaching staff that wasn't warranted and certainly wasn't there when this year started. And I think that's a really good place for any team to be in. To just have to have a level of confidence that if Ricarlo was still the head coach, if he had survived the year somehow, no matter what the results were, I don't know if that same confidence would have been there. Or I know it wouldn't have been. Especially from the players. Yeah. And, and you know, that's where this all stems from, right? <laughs> I have enjoyed all season long listening to players talk about Kid and knowing... <laughs> Finding out how much disdain there was for the previous regime. I, I didn't realize how much resentment there was on the roster for Carlisle. It was guys would just go out of their way just to talk about how different this year was compared to last. You didn't even have to ask. Like it, they would just impromptu tell you just in any in any interview about how much they like this season better and this version of coaching better. And you know, it it showed on the court. I, I thought my I think my biggest skepticism about kid wasn't even like the basketball the x's and o's before the season started you know it's the way that he treated people in his previous stops and the the behavior that he had and some of the things the decisions he made and some of the power moves that he made and i was like this is this is not going to be a a good working environment if he's going to still do those kinds of things i remember snippy snippy comments being told to me of like the Mavericks went from Rick Carlisle to a worse strategy, Rick Carlisle, a, a, another Rick Carlisle worse at X's and O's. Yeah. And that couldn't be further from the truth as we learned. As we learned. He's, he, right. I would honestly, but it was his know, reputation at the time to a degree. What I would love to know what he went through to change as a person, because it, that's, that's the one thing that I've been super surprised by. He's right. really taken a very psychologically healthy approach to the season, a very nurturing approach. And a very big picture approach. And you can tell all the guys really 
really appreciate it and really buy into it. And the even like as much as like the leadership council and playing all those playing every single player in the first home game of the season, there's a lot of like, you know, little cutesy, like small things, but you know, they go a long way in the season and they go a long way when things go badly. And I think that's a big reason why they're able to turn it around. We'll have to dive into this even more. I, I, have, a, I have a lot that I'd love to talk about and discuss maybe, you know, with a, a guest or, or a former player who could amplify uh, that conversation. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. What did you learn about Luka Doncic this year? I learned that he he thinks very highly of himself and he thinks he has still has a long way to go. I think I learned that he kind of learned some of his limits as a player. And I think that's the first time he's ever really felt those. I think especially on the defensive side. And he's learned what is required of him to win a championship. He finally got close enough to realize okay, this is what I need to do. This is where I need to be if I want to win a championship. I, I'm i a great player. He's phenomenal. He's He can do everything on a basketball court. But I don't think he really knew how far he was. And not to say that he's far away, but that he didn't know what the limits was and where the, where the boundaries were and where he needed to where he needed to go to really get to that championship level. And I think this season taught him that and taught him where he needs to be. And I think he's developed some as a leader, and as like a true face of the franchise, I think he kind of skirted those responsibilities in his first couple of seasons, but I think he now really views himself as a leader of the team. I think the first two months of the season, the first couple months, was the longest extended stretch that Luca's ever had on a basketball court where he was not having fun. You could look after every loss, every defeat, after, you know, he struggled to, you know, get 30 points on 30 shots, that it was really wearing on him that he was really frustrated with everything around him. But I think to an extent himself, he understands that he came into the season in a way that really made it difficult for him to play like he wants to, like he, like he knows how to, like he knows he's capable of playing. And I I think it's, I think it would be um, too, we'd be assuming too much to think that, this journey of realizing what it takes and commitment to a lifestyle is linear, that it only goes upwards. It's still really difficult for a 23 year old to 
make the sacrifices and the commitment that we've seen Dirk Nowitzki make, that we've seen many other stars around the league make. It may take time. I would be surprised if he comes into next season uh, out of shape to the level that he was to start this past season, to start the season two years ago. I don't know if he's going to come into the season in this, you know, talked about 99th percentile conditioning. He may never, you know, maybe that's just not his body type. Maybe that's not the way he's wired. But if that it's going to, if that's going to come at some point in his career, it still may take a while. It still may take a few years before that is the level of commitment that he has. But I agree that he learned a lot about sacrifice and commitment and his own competitiveness, which I think fuels this. Like I, I'm not asking him to make that commitment as as a you know, you know, just as a third party observer. I would never ask anybody to make that commitment. I, I wouldn't make that commitment. <laughs> that that's that seems very difficult. I, I wouldn't want to do that. But I do think that the reason players reach this level is because they have a level of competitiveness that is really hard to understand. That that for for an average person, you know, we would never be at this point, even if we were six eight and naturally gifted. You know, the reason that players become stars of this echelon and magnitude is because they have a, a internal drive that is also in the 1% of, or the 99th percentile of humans. And I, I think that we're going to see him changing in that way and committing further as, you know, going into next season and even beyond that in a way that we haven't seen before. And I think it is because, like you said, this season, he really became and grew to understand how important that is and how necessary it is for him to be the player he believes he can be. Yeah, and honestly, it's he's not that far away. And, no, he's not. And, yeah. and also, he's done it. Like, when he came to the bubble, he was in phenomenal shape. And I, I think he'll be similar to what he was in the bubble. Also, he gets to play a bureau basket this summer in September. So he's going to be in shape coming into this season. I think he just he played for a very long time without a break and just took too long of a break last year and didn't realize how long it was going to take for him to get back into peak competitive shape. So actually, I really don't worry about him getting into that level of fitness for a season. I think it's about the small like details of that conditioning. And okay, this is what it's like to play a season into May. When you get to May, you get to late May, you have to you have, you need to know how to condition yourself, how to pace yourself throughout an NBA season to get yourself into May, June, because that's that's something he hasn't done before. He's never played. He played almost 100 games this year, and he's never played that many basketball games in one competitive season. And that's that's something you have to learn. That's something every every player has to learn when you play that long. I mean, I think a lot of the guys that are like, this is this is the longest I've ever played. I mean, Dorian, Reggie, all those guys. It's, 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 it's again worth reminding that that you know it's almost like three seasons rolled into one with the COVID break, and then just how shortened every everything's been since and. Even though Luca's season stretched longer this year, he still he still uh, stopped playing basketball this year. Even though they made the conference finals sooner than he did last season, yeah, with the first round, which is kind of wild. That is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that's where we are, and, and that's that's where the season is. Uh, do you have any other parting thoughts on what the season is? Busy? We'll be back next week with. Uh, more of a proper postmortem eulogy of the season, but more specifically, a very future-focused podcast we'll have everybody on. Uh, right now, I'd really just wanted to sum up you know, what we saw over the past nine months and how good almost all of it was. So any, any, anything, is there anything else that, any, is there any other aspect of the season that 
would have to be mentioned as you tell the story? I think a lot of people compared Luka's run to LeBron's run in 07 when he played against the Spurs. And I think that Spurs series that LeBron played in was very similar to this Warriors series where Luka found out, oh, this is this is what playing against an actual championship-level team that has been there before, this is that this is what that's like. And I think that was a great lesson for him to learn. I'm glad they I'm glad they lost specifically to this Warriors team. I think that's just a lesson and experience that you really couldn't get from playing any other team. And I think it'll be really valuable for the team moving forward. And shout out Theo Pinson. Just made the season fun. Just had a had a good time. Just a, an immaculate vibe creator. One of the Mavericks gonna acquire their Zadruna Solgalskis. I mean, I think they traded theirs away. <laughs> All right. That's the worst joke you've ever made on this podcast. My God. Out of just completely out of Oh, man. KP didn't deserve that one. Is there no reverence anymore? Do we? Shouts to KP. Hope he's enjoying Washington. Good Lord. My God, man. Well, on that note, um, I apologize for Austin. That's the last episode he's ever going to be on. Just, Just completely out of pocket. My man. He still has a career, just just taking shots. Technically, well, yeah. <laughs> what is a career if you're stuck playing for the Wizards? Man, man, not, not much of one. It's not. It's not magical. It's a. It's more like a magic trick. You just yeah. kind of disappear. Oof. Yep. All right, let's get out of here. This is devolving. Uh, we will be back next week. I'm looking forward to that episode. I'm looking forward to talking about the future of this team. About the questions that we have headed into the offseason. But right now, just one last reminder. Enjoy what you just saw over the past 12 months. I think it is, you know, what's the point of sports if you can't enjoy something to the fullest of what it is and what it has been? The Mavericks losing in the conference finals. I don't care. You know, this season, by the standards of what it should have been, Accomplish all of that and more. And that, to me, is where the joy of sports should come from. It's not about rings culture. It's not about, you know, what second star the team is going to get. It's about watching the games and saying, that was fun. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed this group of players. And I think that by every account and more, this season accomplished that for the fans, for the players, for the people on the team. For really everybody in Dallas, around Dallas basketball, you just have to view it as a undeniable success. Thanks for listening. We'll see ya. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca, big dick Donjic from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you have? Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my God! Shut it down! Let's go home! It's a wrap, Doug! That is a wrap.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.